Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, we are in class one and we're on session five. Um, we're now going to look at the IEP or the Individualized Education Program. Um, this is a legal document. If you recall, we just talked about the referral process and there is an IEP committee for the first IEP um, that describes in detail what services the child's actually going to receive in the school system. Um, it is a document that is written for children who are as young as three and as old as 21 years of age. Um, we have to have done the assessment first in order to write an IEP, and we do have a determination that there is a disability and the child is eligible for services. This IEP, the first one, must be written at least within 30 days of the eligibility ruling, and it has to be done, as we mentioned before, they can be placed in a school setting, which is the least restrictive environment. The team who writes this, um, again, as we mentioned, includes the parent, or a guardian if a parent is unavailable, teachers that the child would have, one that would be the general ed teacher they would already be in class with, the special ed teacher at the school that they will now begin some services with, um, someone from the school, and a lot of times the students actually come if that's an appropriate thing and they can understand what is going on. They like to give input into their IEP as well. On the very first one, remember someone from the multidisciplinary uh, assessment team will be there as well. Um, they do differ in format and degree of specificity from school district to school district, but generally they're going to describe um, you know, maybe that a child would receive an hour a day in math services from the special education teacher in the special education classroom, and the rest of their day they would be in the general education classroom with the general ed teacher. Um, then the goals that you would have for the child would be listed as well, where you hope the child will be at the end of the year. All right, so we put, where are you now? Um, this is generally done, if y'all remember being back in um, elementary school, they'll tell you things like this child is on the third grade, second month level when it comes to maybe math. Um, we have our goals, Our maybe our end goal is to get the child up to the fourth grade, first month level by the end of the year. Um, any kind of special ed services, and it's how many minutes that they're actually going to receive that, and related services that they may qualify for and need. Um, we'll look at those in just a sec. Um, how much participation is this child going to have with the students who are considered typical? And you always have to push for that now. We don't, we, we want to include the children who have special needs with those children who do not. We don't want them isolated. Um, IEP will list whether the child should participate in all of the district-wide or statewide assessments that the children have to take. Um, some children are exempt from those. Other children will participate um, in a very traditional way. Sometimes they will have some um, modifications that are made or accommodation. Um, what are their dates? What, what time do they start? What time do they stop during the school year? And where will they receive their services? Um, transition services are provided now. Um, this was done in the 1990 ruling of um, IDEA and we began to look at about age 16 um, as to how to transition our children out of the school system into the adult world. 
How are we going to measure their progress? And what are we calling the age of majority? Um, if they're going to graduate, that's going to be their age of majority, whatever age they would graduate, and a lot of the kids will. Um, if it's an intellectual disability, then it may be 21, and we would just say at 21, um, you can be whatever year you, um, if you turn 21 in August, you get to stay the rest of that year. If you turn 21 in April, then you can't come back. And so you, you finish that year out. Um, here are some related services that you may see provided. Um, physical therapy, if there are any um, motor skills that need help. And here, what we're gonna say is if you can make it through your school day until say 3.30 and you don't need physical therapy, school's not gonna provide that for you. But if you do need to have some stretching done, maybe midday, then the school will provide it. Audiology services to determine if you need hearing aids or to um, just check to see how the current ones are doing. Transportation to and from school, we provide buses for our traditional children, so we must provide services for those who might be in a wheelchair. Um, and the buses are gonna be equipped with oxygen tanks and a wheelchair lift, and um, the driver should know how to do, um, you know, very CPR and things like that. Um, we provide speech therapy and language therapy. Um, there are psychology services that are provided for children who may need some support help or some counseling help in the school based on various emotional needs that they would have. Uh, recreation therapy is for children who can't do traditional physical education or recess and we might do some things like wheelchair basketball or something for our children but it's a way of keeping them active orientation and mobility is for our children who have real, real severe visual impairments and we want them to be able um, to know where they are in time and space, which is the orientation, which way are they facing, um, and be able to move without having to wait on somebody to take them where they want to go. For those children who have hearing impairments, sometimes uh, interpreting is provided. Um, we provide occupational therapy, which is your fine motor skills that are involved in holding a pencil, cutting paper, um, tying your shoes, things like that. Um, there's nutritional guidelines that we might follow for some of our children who have some medical needs and need a certain diet. Um, there are a lot of children who have medical issues and we need to provide medical care occasionally for them. Um, social work services work with the family to help them connect to um, available services in the community or maybe find support groups for families that they may need. Um, as children get a little older, we begin to shift them uh, into vocational education, uh, particularly if we see that this child doesn't look like they would be a good candidate for college. We provide rehab counseling for children who have had injuries to their body um, and they would need to learn maybe how to, to walk again. Um, counseling for the parents who are dealing with a lot of issues with having a child who has special needs. And um, we provide, in some of the schools, not in all schools today, nursing services. And this is really helpful when a child needs to take medicine, um, maybe have to have uh, catheterization, something along that line. All right, when we are looking at exceptionality, we do go for a fairly long period. And we do actually now begin services for children at birth. 
Um, there are sometimes children, again, with those low incidence disabilities that we know immediately that they're going to need some help. Um, we don't use an IEP, though, for these younger children. We do an IFSP, which stands for Individualized Family Service Plan, which is designed for these younger children. Um, you can take it up to age six, um, but usually it's birth to two, and then at three we move to an IEP because most of the three-year-olds are going to preschool somewhere. Um, it is in place because we are recognizing and supporting the family as being the primary educators of this child, and they spend the most time with that child. And so we're trying to really support them and help them know how to best educate their children. Most states provide an early intervention program of some sort, and that's called EI, and it goes from birth to age two. Here you bring the child to a center where a person, maybe a physical therapist or um, possibly a speech therapist if they're a little bit older, um, would be working with the family on how to work with their child when they go home. Um, we have early childhood special ed starting at age three for children um, who need a little bit of additional help. Um, when we move to the adolescents and the young adults, um, we go to the ITP, which is designed for those adolescents who would be 16 and older. And it's a transition plan that is written um, in place of an IEP that is gonna address what um, concerns we might have for our adolescent who is leaving school. Um, we realize that some of these children aren't going to go to college as they age, and we need to decide what do we need to address here. So note some of the things are vocational training. Some will need to learn how to live independently, um, how to work um, with the community and participate in community activities. Some will continue with education of some sort. Um, this is kind of a suggested curriculum that if you're in the younger level, kindergarten through up to about, say, junior high, you'll note that the blue is a little bit bigger academic skills and the green personal social skills are kind of where we really want to focus. As that child ages and hits like senior high to adulthood, we're going to push more for occupational skills and daily living skills particularly if those academic skills have not really been all that successful. So we're going to shift a little bit with what we're going to focus on. All right, we're going to look at the least restrictive environment, which is the concept that our child needs to be um, merged in with children who are typically development as much as possible. But we're going to base it individually for each child and focus on um, mainly their educational needs. What we've learned is that restricting children to just being with other children who are also dealing with a disability is very restrictive and it doesn't help these children to want to grow as much. Um, so we have a balance here that we have to look at. We want you to be educated with children who are typical, but we also want to make sure that if we do that, we're providing an appropriate education. So we've set up over the years a continuum of services and the limits are no restrictions at all. You'd be in the regular gen ed population. And then we have very severe restrictions. So it's not a specific place. We don't say everybody must be here. It's a concept of putting each child in the particular placement option that would be the best one for them. 
you can see that it kind of ranges in this continuum. We have the gen ed class, which is, again, your traditional children. Um, your special ed children won't be there. They may be in the general ed class with some consultation where the teacher gets some help on how to work with this child. An itinerant teacher is one who moves around and may come in and out of the classroom or even go to the home at times um, and works a little bit with that child. A resource teacher is a special ed teacher at the school who will have a classroom the child will go to for maybe a period or two a day and that teacher is a resource for them to be getting extra help with their gen ed work. Self-contained special class is where you are in a classroom at the school with um, a teacher who is uh, trained in special education and all of the children will have special needs. Note there's free uh, standing day schools where you might go, like the school for the blind. Um, some children are in the hospital or at home because they're very sick and they need um, an itinerant teacher to come to them or possibly a teacher will be placed at the hospital. And then there are some residential schools where children will actually live to receive their services. Um, you can see that when we look at percentages, the majority of our children uh, stay in the gen ed about most of the time. Um, those who are there less than half the time is about 19%, and those that are there half of the time are about 29%. Our inclusion is a concept of putting the child with a disability into the same environment as those who are non-disabled. Um, full inclusion is a belief system that right now doesn't exist, um, but there are people pushing for this. And this says that no matter what the exceptionality and no matter how severe it is, that child should be in regular education. So, you know, that could be very, very difficult if that might come to pass. We currently do partial inclusion, which is that we look at each child and we look at that least restrictive environment continuum. And we try to see where that child can best fit into having some time in the, the gen ed classroom, depending on what needs they would have. Um, full inclusion says labeling is, is harmful um, and that pullout programs have not been effective and that this is uh, a minority group who, um, just like a racial group, should not be segregated and that these children are gonna have to interact in the real world with those who are typical and we might as well start it early. Um, those against it would say that the continuum of placements is currently working quite well um, and that we don't want to have all of our general educators having to deal with um, exceptionalities that they really are untrained to work with and that the evidence today that we have is not really supportive of full inclusion and therefore we should continue with the way that we are dealing with things now. All right, inclusive teaching um, frequently is collaborative where we work with uh, the gen ed teacher and the special ed teacher together. Um, and we um, have the special ed teacher giving suggestions. Cooperative teacher, they're actually in the same classroom working together. And when we look at different instructional strategies, the cooperative learning is putting the child with special needs in a group with those who are typical and those typical children encourage and um, kind of motivate the child with special needs. Frequently we do peer tutoring where we pair a child who is doing well in the class with one who has some special needs. 
Um, and some children just participate partially. They are on a limited basis in terms of the general ed classroom. They are not capable usually of handling everything that you would do um, in a gen ed classroom. Um, when we look at inclusion issues and we're talking about children being uh, with special needs, being in the classroom with those who are typical, we have options. One of the things that we may need to do is actually modify the assignment. And this would be the case when a child just is really struggling to do the work. They may have some intellectual um, disabilities that, that really keep them from even understanding the entire topic. So what we're really doing here is changing what we teach this child or what we expect from this child. So we may actually give a task that's a little bit easier um, than we would give to the rest of the class. Um, note we might eliminate homework or reduce it. And so instead of saying they have three problems to work, they may get one. Um, we may grade these children on pass-fail other than an ABCD method. Um, those are done occasionally, but usually with the more severe exceptionality. More often, we're going to use what is called an accommodation, which is just helping the child work with the disability that they have. Um, most of the time here, it's some sort of physical change, note possibly a behavioral change. Options for this would be letting a child give an oral report if they really struggle with writing or if they have some speech issues and can't do an oral report, we might let them write their report. Um, we provide preferential seating for children who might have hearing disorders or vision impairment so that they need to sit in the front of the classroom. Some children, uh, maybe with a learning disability um, or ADHD, will give them a little extra time on their test. Some children who have uh, very difficult uh, times focusing um, may have a test read to them, or you may do that for a child with vision problems as well. Um, when we label a child and we say this child has autism spectrum disorder or this child has visual impairments, there are some positive and negatives to that. Um, I'm going to real quickly run through a couple of pros and cons. Y'all are going to be thinking a little bit more about this on your discussion questions. But some of the pros are um, having the label lets people who are in the field communicate much more easily. Um, it does provide you eligibility for services. You can't get them any other way. Helps us get money. Um, to provide for those children with exceptionalities. Um, certainly does give more visibility to um, those individuals and their disabilities and helps us then to be able to provide this differentiated instruction through modification and, and accommodations. But some of the negatives exist as well. It oftentimes um, uh, develops a poor self-concept or self-esteem in the child to know that they have this label. Um, teachers and parents and the child may lower expectations for this child. Um, frequently, there's stereotyping where we assume that this person will be like others who have that label. Um, the focus is on then the limits and not the abilities, and so we're not really focusing as much on the child. Um, some kids use this as a crutch to um, give less of a performance, and it may actually lower the opportunities that a child may have um, in their community or their school. And another really big one is that there's this false sense that the disability is permanent and that you can't outgrow this label, which is um, not true. They, there are many of these that are temporary labels. And that concludes your lecture part of today, and now you will begin to do your reading and writing assignments.